I guess we do kind of live in an information bubble and it's kind of weird to think that, but at the same time, I, I realize it completely because I've been, you know, sort of screaming about these technologies and these other things. And I'm in, in this information bubble and, you know, I'm not doing it with the right communication because I don't have like a whole network behind me to like do video editing and, and animations and stuff and make, make all this stuff super easy and accessible to people in like five minute chunk. So welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm talking with Jeremy Riss, who is famous for appearing on TimCast IRL uh, and is the, the Twitter handle Alien Scientist. He's a physics bachelor who's been working independently researching uh, advanced technologies like metallic glass, anti-gravity warp drives, quasi-crystals, and all of which seemed crazy 15 years ago and have since been completely vindicated by some Freedom of Information Act uh, declassified documents that have come out. And he's since started to work with APEC and bring together a whole bunch of scientists who worked with the government and with some huge military contractors on advanced technologies like hypersonic, uh, hypersonic flight, anti-gravity stuff, warp drives, just a whole bunch of crazy sci-fi sounding technology uh, so jeremy welcome to the show hey thanks thanks josh no problem so before we start i have to plug uh, two things first my book brexit the establishment civil war it is out today uh, as of recording day so that's really exciting it's um, in my mind the the most important look at uh, how social media affects politics and the real world and also we have a sponsor Express VPN, you can get 35% off with a 30 day money back guarantee uh, on 12 months of Express VPN. So Jeremy, down to some questions. So how did you first get involved or how did you first get excited about, about science? Like what's your, what's your earliest memory of being like fascinated by, by physics or, or like advanced alien technology or, or any of that? Ooh, um... Well, my dad was an engineer. Uh, he's he, he's a chemical engineer. Did uh, control systems engineering for you know refineries and power plants and stuff like that. So he's always been like a technical influence on me. I'd say my it probably came from my father. Um, but I also did watch a lot of you know pro television programs. You know back in the day, how it's made. Um, you know Discovery Channel um, and also. Um, you know, like unsolved mysteries and a lot of that stuff, which got me into like, you know, some exploring some of these mysteries too. And uh, Area 51 and, you know, aliens and that kind of business. <laughs> so, but I think I really got into it strongly in, in uh, my senior year of high school when I read um, Behold a Pale, not Behold a Pale Horse. I read, um, I read a book called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman um, by Richard Feynman, who was recruited out of MIT at like age 18 to go work on the Manhattan Project and develop some of the most um, classified physics and, and one of the most classified programs in history. And just learning about his experience with um, the physicists that were involved, the science that they were doing, and how the secrets were you know, sort of kept within this, you know, inner circle of people who, and, and no one really outside that circle really had any understanding about the scope of the project or what was really going on. 
at the time. And um, <clears throat> we live in a completely different world today than that existed in the 1940s uh, with the internet and um, the ability to share information worldwide at the drop of a, a click of a button. Real, realistically, uh, the ability to keep secrets has been greatly diminished by the, the internet, I, I feel. And, and um, it's, it's just great that, uh, you know, we're able to even do this and have these conversations and, and, and have these talks. Because uh, if, if things had gone a little bit differently in the 1940s, we, we might be speaking German right now or not having this conversation at all. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like most people don't know that the Americans had it or the, the Nazis had a program to uh, invade America and bomb Manhattan and everything. That was all on paper. They were ready to go <laughs> if they hadn't. They, they actually uh, didn't they bomb a ship. They bombed a ship at one of the ports in, in Manhattan. And uh, I, I think it was either Manhattan or um, Roanoke, Virginia or somewhere, somewhere in Virginia, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I remember hearing something about they bombed actually one of our vessels. And that was uh, I actually read that in Jim Mars's book, Crossfire. And he was talking about the mafia and the mafia's involvement in intelligence. And, um, you know, that basically the mafia owned the docks and all the shipping ports, you know, and that they used, they had to use the mafia for intelligence collection because in order to solve this sort of bombing of this uh, boat that had happened. And um, I, I thought that was super interesting as well. So, so there's this underworld element that exists that people aren't aware of as, as, in addition to the, you know, high level upper, upper academia echelon of, of uh, physics graduate schools. And uh, these, these, top level academic achievers like you know wolfgang pauli or uh john von neumann or oppenheimer or, or, or any number of physicists that you know worked on the um manhattan project that were recruited out of our top universities and you know but they took the best of the best and set them on this project and um but they also used the the worst of the worst to collect because those guys run, run they run all these sort of things under under the seams and they do it more efficiently and effectively than than the government does sometimes even though they're inherently corrupt um but it, it's it's sort of interesting because there's this this overlap in, in these worlds and um and, and you sort of see things differently when you, you're able to understand that those worlds exist and, and sort of see, see them because mm. they might not be apparent to the normal person. But anyways, uh, yeah, I got into, um, I got into it more, um, in 2000, like after graduating, not after graduating high school, you know, I, I was going to college for a number of years off and on. And then, uh, I, I wanted to do physics. I started trying to do physics. Um, the math was a, a little bit overwhelming at for, you know, for, you know, at first and stuff. I, I actually like didn't take calculus in high school and I had to like um, muscle my way through a lot of calculus and algebra to catch up to get to where um, I needed to be for my, you know, sophomore, freshman year of, of, uh, of college. And so, um, I, uh, I did a lot of, I did a lot of independent research on my own though. I, I started wanting, I started reading about all this stuff online and investigating a lot of these other, other, um, I don't know. I call them rabbit holes. You know, people call them conspiracy theories. Some people call them, uh, you know, uh, 
unsolved mysteries or critical thinking or you know uh, mm. alternative history there's a number of different terms for it but basically getting into all that um nazi bell stuff that was coming out around that time early 2000s and a lot of the anti-gravity stuff that was online what are you, what you could find back then anyway it was where really were where were you looking like you say you were finding this stuff online like where where were you finding it at that at that time i mean you just going to google and typing in anti-gravity every, every day or typing in you know gravity control or propulsion technology or you know and then you get into you know pod you find pod and you start doing nasa nasa and you go start going through nasa.gov or nasa documents and stuff and then you get then i get hooked in with people who are doing the whole foia thing which is called uh, foia stands for freedom of information act and uh, these are kind of like the upper echelon nerds of information. And basically, you can write these requests to the government. And as long as you ask, as long as you know what you're looking for and you ask the, for it the right way, you, they have to give it to you. <laughs> and so like if you especially like it and it's and then people rewrite FOIAs because they do research on the documents and they're able like so they get a bunch of batch of documents released from the government through this FOIA process. And um and then they go through and they do all the research and they say all this stuff's redacted. So the government releases them all and they redact information. So that's like where, where the lines are all blacked out on the paper. And so we as researchers have to go through and kind of like fill in the holes, you know what I mean? And figure out what's in there and the missing bits. And the way that we do that is we, we sometimes we take guesses. And then you write in a specific request to the government for 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 the same Freedom of Information Act for that same exact document, but for the missing parts that contain this. And as long as you nail it, they have to give it to you. So um, really, like they they they're like obliged to give you that information, even like even though they've redacted it for uh, whatever purpose. Sometimes they'll they'll fight like they'll fight to the tooth and nail, um, you know, to not to give it to you and stuff uh, for certain things, you know, because some of it's um, a lot of it's a lot of that stuff that's in the redacted information is 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 what I call um, personal or human intelligence which is uh, really key. If you were, were to unravel the Manhattan Project, all you'd have to do is have the list of all the physicists who were involved, really. Like those were the guys who were at the top echelon of you know, that project. And if you knew all those humans and you could had some kind of sort of open communication or, 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 or line of contact with them, then you could essentially know like all the deepest, you know, parts of it, you know, like the... Um, the thyristors and uh, um, that von Neumann and the timing sequences that he had developed for the for how to like do the bomb, you know, and the, and the, the how specific these timings had to be for like where everything, where all the parts of the bomb detonated in the right order and the right sequence and the right timing, and that was uh, you know, all crucial to to getting this um, you know, getting the physics right, and he did all the calculations for that and stuff. So that kind of stuff would would you know, did the, the real intelligence, as I saw it, you know, it, it exists within these human resources, you know, so it's like, you really have to find the humans that are working on this stuff. And it's hard, it's hard uh, as heck now to hide stuff, because everything's published, you can search for, you know, different things. And um, well, the only way that they hide stuff is by putting lots of disinformation out front and center and and hyping it up with, with massive uh they have a massive ability to just reach 
humongous audiences. And then they tap into people who have that ability, like people like Joe Rogan, sadly, <laughs> I believe. I don't know. I, I'd love to go. I'd love to go on his show and ask him why he still believes Bob Lazar almost a year later and has done like literally no research into the case. He's like every time I, he's like asking questions about it, he's still learning about it. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I can't. I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't even go on on the Bob Lazar thing. My friend, my friend's so upset about it, though. And, and he's the guy that I built Bob Lazar debunk.com with. Um, one of these guys that I met, a researcher, probably about 12 years ago. Um, well, let me get back to how I met Dan first off and why we got involved in doing such extensive research into Bob Lazar and some of these other uh, physics characters, because I did, that's what I deal with is the human resources and evaluation of like who these people are. Mm. And then why don't know, we, why don't we say just before you start this, like who Bob Lazar actually is for anyone uh, listening who doesn't know. So Bob Lazar is uh, a scientist who uh, claimed to have worked at area 51 and S4 and right, claimed well, to have maybe seen like some, some worked on like UFO craft and potentially maybe seen like an alien, um, but yeah, there's there's a few holes in this. Well, he said he saw he said it was he thought it was an alien. And then later on, he changed the story and said he thought it was a doll. Um, you said he's a scientist, but that's not really confirmed. He owns a scientific supply company called United Nuclear, which he started um, in the late 80s, early 90s. I think um, around, right around the time that um, he was running a uh, explosives um, expose called uh, Desert Blast. OK. And George Knapp, George Knapp, when he first interviewed Bob Lazar, he claims that he had never known Bob Lazar prior to this and that he had just met him. But it's untrue because he had covered Desert Blast um, in 86 and 87 um, and the Desert Blast Festival, which was covered by KLS. And George Knapp was the reporter on that. Um, and the Desert Blast Festival was run by Gene Huff and Bob Lazar, the two guys who wrote who, who, who directed the Lazar tapes, which was the first commercial um, commercially successful enterprise that came from that Lazar story. They sold a DVD and, and these things, the, the Lazar tapes, it wasn't a DVD. It was actually, this was back in the days of VHS yeah, VHS <laughs> tapes of this, this uh, thing. And they, for 30 bucks a piece and they made like half a million dollars. Um, and they tried to get, and we have uh, documents now that, that shows that they tried to get funding from John Testers of Testers Corporation to fund this. And they basically, they, they asked him for $50,000 to make the documentary and that he was going to get paid half a million or up to, you know, we'd, they'd make millions in return, you know, for what the, the film would be worth and what they could sell it for. Um, so the, the, I don't know, I look into Bob Lazar's history. Uh, he did have some uh, he did work at the Meson physics facility, which is interesting, um, back in 1981. So like nine years, ten, eight years prior to when he um, sit, claims that he, he was hired up for this top secret program where he was brought out to Area 51. And then they brought him to the secret subsection of Area 51, which he claims was at Papoose Lake. We've got all the satellite photos going back. He claims that there was a guard shack there, all this stuff. We've gone through and like every piece of that story in like with a fine tooth comb and like and it's it's none of it holds up there's nothing there at that base the real s4 is at tonopah test site he got that information from his friend jim tagliani who was one of the the guys that went up on the hill to go and film the ufos with him 
it was a whole group of ufo like buff people that were, were like doing this and they like this whole all these people like have something to gain by selling the story or pushing the story and and as it shows like john lear who was the guy that basically i have, have the whole testimony from john lear of how he met bob lazar you go back and um it's it's just crazy going into that whole case i didn't mean to take a detour on bob lazar but it just is no one that's example. that's all right no so but like I you're think it actually is a good example because it shows people because everyone thinks that this guy's a physicist he, he, he portrays himself as a physicist mm. um and uh, i think it's 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 funny because when you dig into it you find that he has no curriculum vitae which is a c your cv that's like what papers you've published or what kind of work you've done all right and i'm not a physicist either in, in that regard okay i have a bachelor's degree in physics from bridgewater state university i went to a state college and i got a physics degree i had to learn math i had to do math and i know i know how to do a lot of math and i know how to read papers and stuff and and that's pretty much what i do with my time is reading papers and finding stuff like you know all the all the stuff that's in this um that dia report that i sent you um earlier that i said this is stuff that i've been talking about for you know 10 15 years now some of it some of it just came out in the last four or five years um and to my knowledge anyway even though this shows that they've been working on it for about the same amount of time 10 15 years some of this goes back 20 years mm. um so this is interesting stuff it's like confirmation of a lot of the research that i did and uh you know of course there's nothing about element 115 in there which was bob lazar's famous uh you know claim to fame disclo disclosure um, we we actually trace back everything that we could find on element 115 through the literature, and uh, we actually traced it back to a May 1989 issue of Scientific American magazine, uh, which had all the element 115 stuff, the state, I, I, the uh, island of stability, all that stuff on um, isomers and isotopes, and uh, it was it was kind of it was kind of an interesting. Um, Interesting to find that, that that was the same exact month and year that Bob Lazar came out uh, with his story. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that seems uh, like a touch convenient. And it's funny. It's everyone trusts George Knapp and they think that he's like the greatest thing in ufology and, and like this beacon of truth. And the guy made his career off selling Bob Lazar for 30 years. And, and, we, and I know for a fact that case is, is a lie. I know every single bit of it. I can, I, I would... I would be able to if I got on Joe Rogan and he got me on with Bob Lazar for a debate, I would end him in like five questions. You know, what uh, I mean, it's it would well, be over. Uh, and I know other people that have asked him similar questions. So maybe he's you know, he might might try to get, you know, some coaching and stuff. He, he'd have to go on with Jeremy Corbell, his bulldog. And then Jeremy Corbell would try to, you know, I don't know. It's it's always he's always got to have a handler with him beside him whenever he talks. And that that's just nonsense. It's it's there's other physicists out there. I've been trying to get people to pay attention to this stuff. And then Joe, we have Joe Rogan, this massive platform, just, you know, hammering away at this 30 year old case that there's nothing there, bro. Hmm. Um, Bigelow is keeping his cards tight to his chest. This FOIA that was released shows that Bigelow Aerospace was doing, had contracts to do a lot of this research into metallic glass and these other technologies, which they're not talking about. Hint, hint. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it couldn't be more obvious to me 
what's going on, having been, you know, researching this as long as I have and, and being involved with this. It's like I couldn't be more obvious what they're doing with the public's attention. Well, you know I mean? what I'm going to do is when when I put this podcast out, I, I chop it up into clips and we'll make this Bob Lazar section a thing. And I'm going to tweet it endlessly at Joe Rogan until he hears it and uh, challenge him. I don't know if he'll <laughs> I don't know if he'll respond, but you never know. Um, I don't but, care. Yeah, well, I'm doing my own thing. I have my own. I have enough audience and there. It's the audience that's interested in this already. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. it's the people I don't need. I don't need the people that are 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 just looking for the next. Oh, let me just look on what's entertaining for tonight. I'm into the people that are diehard on. And I've got everyone. I've got everyone who's anything right now. And anyone who's anyone knows about me, at least, you know, even if they don't know even if they don't have full confidence in me yet, mm. you know, like Jack, Jack Sarfati was an example. Um, you know, he didn't want to speak at the conference at first, you know, he's like, and there's a couple other people like that, 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 that still feel like they, they don't need, they don't want to, they have no interest in speaking at, you know, Tim Ventura's conference. And I, I respect, and I understand that because Tim has let some people in before no offense to Tim, he does a great job at moderating and stuff, but um, it's some of the people that that get into these conferences. So, it, it, but that's just a, I feel like it's a, we have to be open, you know, to like letting anyone in. So like anyone can come and present, we have to like keep it open, but we have to like, so we started a policy now we, we were screening their PDF for, beforehand, you know, where he sends it to like everyone and we, we make sure that this guy's like not, because we had a couple people where it's like, is, is this guy serious? Is he sabotaging the group? Like mm. we have like, we built this whole conference. Like I built this like the episode up and then we have a guy coming on and, and it's talking nothing about science or engineering. And he's just talking about UFOs and aliens and stuff, you know? And like, like who let this guy on, you know? And like, and, and we're all sitting there like, Oh geez. Um, you know, is this, is this helping us or hurting us? And, 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 uh, you know, it's obvious that, you know, I don't know, it comes obvious that like that there are, and it, you have to expect that there are those attacks. And then there's people in the, in the audience saying, oh, this doesn't ever happens at scientific conferences. And it's like, dude, how many scientific conferences have you been into? I've always, <laughs> I've always seen a couple people at the end sneak in, you know, there's always the one guy at the conference that presents where like half the people walk out of the room or they sit there like this the whole time. You know what I mean? There's always that guy. And, hmm. and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so not, why don't it's, why don't we why don't we back up a little just for people who don't get yeah. like, what we're talking about with the conference? So so to like contextualize everything, like the reason that you're mad about Bob Lazar is because you have set up APEC or you're a, like a were you the founder or and anyway, you've 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 been no. a part of uh, APEC who are bringing together a whole bunch of scientists who have done like legit work on advanced technology um, with the U.S. government or with uh, private contractors or both. And you're trying to bring them all together and get them to explore and discuss a lot of this technology. Right. And you're frustrated let me, let, because let's back yeah. up a little bit. One okay. second. Um, so APEC started because there was these two other conferences that existed. They're the only um, big conferences for space propulsion and um, alternative energies. And it's the STAFE, the STAFE conference, which turned into the STAFE 2 conference, which is S-T-A-I-F-F, right? Um, DARPA did a lot of recruiting for uh, work out of the STAFE conference. It was basically like a conference where people could come and present papers and ideas. On, and, and there was a section F of that conference, which was specifically on propulsion. 
and propulsion technologies. And that was um, one of the, the more interesting ones. There's also another conference called the Estes Park Conference, which is run by Jim Woodward um, of the Woodward Effect and the, the Mach Effect. Um, he's basically the guy that's been running the Estes Park Conference, and it's another kind of separate propulsion conference. So we were, I knew about these conferences. I followed them for years because um, they're a great source of information. You look at, you know, what projects were presented there and you can find a lot of the stuff before it went black, you know. Um, and it's a great way to find, you know, because all these black projects have to go somewhere before they're given, you know, before they're taken, inducted into the government and given a contract. They go to these conferences and that's where you're going to find the papers. That's where you're going to find the scientists. So that's where I did a lot of my human resources work early on. Then we took all those people from those conferences. We went to those, we started attending those conferences and meeting more people from those conferences, right? Over the years. And then just last year, when with COVID-19 and Zoom call and all these, we, the conferences went on to Zoom calls, right? And when they went to Zoom calls, we just got the email list and we said, we're going to start our own conference and we're going to make it every week instead of once a year, because once a year is not enough time. We're going to we're going to do it. We need to do something once a year. So it was kind of like it wasn't just my idea. It was at like a whole the whole group of us were getting together on WhatsApp and we were discussing this. And I brought Tim Ventura into the group because he's one of the guys that ran American Anti-Gravity early on that got me into this. You know what I mean? So when. You know, he I, I was researching American anti-gravity back in like early 2000. He was, you know, had articles on Ning Li and uh, NASA anti-gravity experiments, uh, Podkletnov, um, the replications that were done in the U.S. of that Podkletnov experiment and uh, stuff on Gravity Probe B, um, all kinds of interesting stuff that I was got me into involved in, in doing the research into um gravitation and and just theory and phys and the physics of gravity way back in the day um it's of course taken me in all crazier directions since then um but I, again this is where the roots of that conference started because we had we were attending these other conferences meeting a lot of these scientists and then we were having our own group chats to the to the point where we, we took some of the better people out of these conferences that would talk to us at least some of them won't won't, it won't even talk to you and that's how you know they're probably the really the people you really want to talk to because they can't talk to you um <laughs> But again, we've gotten enough of people that can talk to us and enough people that say like, listen, I can't say anything. I can't tell you anything, but I can sit in the background and say hot or cold. Right. <laughs> you know, I can lead you on a little bit. So so we've got some some good, you know, some good guidance now. And some I, I know that there's some disinformation in the group, too, because when they see a, a, a group like us getting as far as we've come, they're going to try to send people after us and, and, and they're going to send, you know, you know, people in the mix to kind of disrupt things or distract people or, and mix things up a bit. So we're on our toes about that. But um, again, it's it's uh, it's a great idea of these conferences of what we can do with the technology now. And and, I, and, and COVID kind of actually, I don't know, it, it kind of changed all that and it, it opened this up. And uh, it also made a lot of these older guys that have been working on this for years. They're all, you know, in their 70s, 80s. They're high risk now. And it's gotten a lot of them to talk more, you know, to be more open about this because we our, our future is uncertain. 
We don't know. We need this technology to save humanity. And I think that more people as they're understanding that message and understanding what this technology can do and what it means, um, they're engaging in like a public effort to, you know, unify and, and rally, um, rally the troops, so to speak, that, it, you know, maybe it doesn't have to come from the government because, you know, uh, it, it should come from a grassroots sort of, um, you know, organic kind of start. And that, that's where I, that's where I, I, you know, that's where I'm coming from with it. I've, I've worked, I've never worked, uh, I've worked for in construction for the you know past 15 years. I did, I've worked in construction to put myself through college and, uh, and that's kind of what I do now. That's what I, I enjoy doing it. You know, I like building stuff. I like working with my hands and I like, I like building stuff. I want to be building a, a craft in a lab somewhere and doing lab experiments and stuff. Uh, we're not quite, I'm not quite there yet. I've been going down to New Jersey and, and doing some experiments with Mark at his lab. Um, but I'm meeting more people with more laboratories and more, um, more building experience and more um, capabilities now. And we're starting to network um, with those groups after being on Tim pool, it's opened me up to a lot more. Uh, I, I have a lot more, you know, serious people contacting me, you know, like people that are really, really solid engineers that with really solid resumes and stuff. Um, and, you know, we're, we're starting to discuss some ideas. Uh, I think these, I think there's technologies out there that really, um, could go a long way. The, uh, 3d metal printing and, and 3d printing. Although I don't know if 3d printing techniques always the perfect way. There's, there's, uh, there's some newer ones with the powder, uh, coating and the, the way they lay, lay, lay a laser. Um, they use powder layers of metal powders, and then they use lasers to melt the powders to create, you know, 3d print with uh, metal. Um, that one, that way is pretty sick. Uh, there's some pretty, uh, amazing technologies out there, but we want to like get a facility together to start just experimenting with them. And, um, and I also want to, I'm trying to get Elon's attention too, with that, you know, like, again, I don't know about the, 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 uh, it does seem like we're in a bubble with the information. Cause I did that grandmother challenge recently. Uh, you saw the, the video I did with Elon and I, I basically was like, how does Elon never heard of the Tic Tac? Cause he told Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan asked him about the Tic Tac. Yeah. And uh, apparently like, I guess we do kind of live in an information bubble and it's kind of weird to think that, but uh, at the same time, I, I realize it completely because I've been, you know, sort of screaming about these technologies and these other things. And I'm in, in this information bubble and, you know, I'm not doing it with the right communication because I don't have like a whole network behind me to like do video editing and, and animations and stuff and make, make all this stuff super easy and accessible to people in like five minute chunk, digestible chunks of information, you know, oh, metallic glass. And now you're an expert, you know, yeah. um, five minutes, you know, here you go. <laughs> Some of this stuff's real complicated and, and, and the information bubbles real because you realize, oh, I'm trying to get this information out to people. But some of them, and my problem is, is getting people's attention long enough for them to understand it. And then, and then you realize that some of the other stuff that you've been involved in is probably, they look at that first because it's, uh, it's easier to digest and understand because it's, because it's nonsense. Cause that's the nonsense stuff that you had <laughs> to dig through for 15 years yeah. to get to where you are. And they just like, they're just coming into this now. So they're like, well, let me go back to this stuff. Cause I'm not even, I, 
they need like 15 years to catch up to my level now. Like, and they, and they have to, so they're at Bob Lazar right now, which is where I was like <laughs> 15 years ago. And, and I'm trying to bring them up to speed, but meanwhile, they're like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's way too smart. And he got to work for the CIA because, you know, how could he dare say that Bob Lazar is not telling the truth? You know. <laughs> uh, uh. I mean, like, so there's, there's, there's two things I want, I want to sort of ask you about there that, um, First of all, the 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 TikTok and the, just all of those videos that have come out in the last um, couple of years and the that New York Times story that said that they've got like a crashed UFO and just any anything in that kind of like sphere, I find that like even when you show people like that this is like they're like look the U.S. government is saying they don't know what this is they're saying that there's there's quite like a fair chance that it's not of this world. They're, the New York Times is saying that maybe the Pentagon has something, some sort of crashed vehicle that they think is not from this world. And you show people it and then they go, yeah, but aliens aren't real. And it's it, there's almost like a like a wall between people's like acceptance. Like you, you can see the news story, you can watch the video, but it doesn't like sink in that this is essentially like as close to like disclosure of uh, that, that you're going to get. Because, you know, it's... And, and okay, it's not 100%. And we can't say for sure that we know that there's aliens. But like, no, there's, there's some, there's, there's like quite a lot of compelling evidence. And, and I, I, I like to believe that they're real because um, that's way more fun. <laughs> but like, yeah. there's, there's, there's like a, a wall, I feel, where, where people kind of hear it and then they just go, nope. And it, it like goes in one ear and straight out the other. But, you said that well, that's like, why I say that especially the scientists that they just see my name alien scientist and they, <laughs> they just see the alien part and they run the other way and, you know so <laughs> uh, but then you it's get the, the same really thing because I'm not and I'm not I'm not married to any idea and I don't have evidence for aliens and that's not necessarily what I'm you know after here um, more after just the scientific methods of looking for them I talk about you know like new ways that SETI should be looking for aliens Right. Um, one of the things I, I mentioned, right, is we have new technologies out and we have, have new understandings of physics and science that are going to help us to crack this puzzle. Right. So as, as Elon Musk said, if they're here and they're visiting us, then they're very discreet. You know, they're they're you know, they're very good at like not being detected and seen, you know, if this is the only interaction that we've had with them, if, if supposing that these are aliens. Right. So they're very discreet. Um, could they be using technologies like stealth technologies to help with that discretion? And that's, you know, that's, that's, in, that stuff was thought up in the sixties and, 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 you know, years ago in, in, in Star Trek, we were observing alien, you know, primitive alien civilizations from a invisible outpost that was, you know, equipped with cloaking, you know, to blend into the, into the rocks and, and stuff like that. That was in the, the start uh, this was from the 90s actually star trek uh, who watches the watchers episode you can go watch that um and picard picard explains his their mission to the, the the their civilization and that's like what i think is like the best description of aliens if, if they exist and how to get around the fermi paradox you know because like these things should be everywhere why aren't we seeing them and it's like well duh they have warp drive and cloaking technology um David Fravor, Commander David Fravor says that they were a actively blocking his his radar. Um, so, 
you know, I don't think like if if he's telling the truth and if they are. There's also yeah. we have technologies that do all that stuff. And that's what's interesting is those technologies were developed at site four at Tonopah test range, not Bob Lazar's mythical S4 at Papoose Lake, which doesn't exist. Mm. These technologies were developed real. They're called ECCM, electronic counter countermeasures. And they were developed at site four at Tonopah test range. Uh, which is interesting, um, but they have they have technologies that do this as well, which you never see talked about any of that stuff talked about because that's capabilities, you know, like and they're not going to talk about that stuff in the public. And I talk about it on my channel because I can and and I do. And and no one stopped me except that, you know, I feel like I'm shadow banned and like blocked. And anytime I mention any kind of other conspiracy, it's like immediately flagged and, and gets my whole channel like flagged. So I've been trying to re relieve those shadow bans by, you know, making a lot of my more risque, controversial videos um, unlisted just to try to get rid of that shadow ban now that I've hit 100,000 subs. And I'm trying to move away from actually, you know, just temporarily because the world's a scary place right now. And I'm just trying to move away from things that threaten individuals because you do journalism like I do. It's it, deep research. And you get it on stuff which, you know, I don't want to I don't want to hurt anyone's career or anyone's, you know, I, I, I've tried to like take take that kind of that's important information to get out there. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, I, I try to focus on now, like the science more and just getting this team together to push the science forward. And, and maybe I want to turn my YouTube channel into a lab where we just build stuff and test anti-gravity claims and oh. anti-gravity experiments because that's kind of what we've been doing for the past you know two years with this this group that we've set up and um i think it's a good direction to go in and it's a safe direction to go in at least <laughs> temporarily until my channel can get a little bit bigger and get rid of the shadow bands and then i can maybe have some attention because because i right now i'm not getting on joe rogan uh i got on tim pool and got like nine thought i got like nine almost ten thousand more more subs you know which set me over the top. It was, it was a, definitely a good boost. Um, but it, it would, it's nothing like what would happen if I got on Joe Rogan, you know mm. what I mean? It would just, oh my God. And, and the, I just think of the insane audiences that um, people are reaching on his podcast. Um, yeah. The other, he, the other yeah. one would be uh, Lex Friedman. He, he has some, cause he, he, he genuinely gets people to talk about, about the science behind a lot of stuff. So it's always, um, he he's also maybe someone someone you could target but like right to, you, you say you want to talk about about I've the science trying. more on your youtube so i want to ask you like you mentioned that you think that there's like technology that you're working on that could save the world like what specifically do you mean well um it's low power technology so it's it's reducing our carbon footprint um, by significant amounts people people are out there complaining about bitcoin's carbon footprint but like don't talk about cell phone usage or don't talk about our, our just regular electronics devices which are way more we have way more of those are tab way more tablets way more phones and way more of these other devices um, if we can develop optical uh, photonic technologies with these metallic glasses like there's a video out by corning uh I really want to talk to those guys at Corning um, who are the Mythbusters have teamed up with these guys now. And they made a bunch of these videos called the glass age. And they talk about the, the glass age. And I showed those videos, to, you know, even I showed them to my dad actually, and he's a pretty good judge of engineering and science. And, and he couldn't, and even he couldn't quite 
understand it the way that I, he couldn't quite see it the way that I see it and understand it. And the way I understand it is these types of materials that we we're going to be able to develop these types of layered glass glasses, which will work as circuit boards. They will work as low level circuit boards that work on photons and just light energy instead of um, electrons in the phone. And you can, you can pack way more memory. You can pack way more information uh, with storage. You can, and, and they're also nearly indestructible. They're flexible crystals that like store information and uh, they're stable. Like it's like, it's like basically a rock. Like we have rocks. We, you can go in the ground and dig up quartz crystals that are billions of years old and they're completely stable and they have all the information that they, they started with in them. And, and uh, there's, there's all kinds of papers you can read on data storage and quartz and data storage and crystals. And um, this is where things are moving, need to move towards. I believe that, you know, this is, this is, if this was what we were, if they we recovered something at, at uh, Roswell, it would be something like this. You know, so I, I keep telling people that who think we're, we're hundreds of years off or, mil, or thousands of years off from alien technology and, and, and being able to reach that level. We're not. Technology is exponential. It's an exponential curve. And, and we're already hit that. We've already hit that point um, somewhere. I don't know what the what exactly you call the singularity, if it's like a, a limit where the, the height reaches that's a certain technology or if it's the slope of that curve. Um, but we're, we're pretty much in it right now. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's way more advanced than many people realize. And, and, um, we're not far off. It just, it's just that industry and mark, you know, manufacturing and economics and the markets have to catch up because the markets aren't there yet. We're still, you know, Apple hasn't, you know, quite caught up yet to this. They're still doing, they're getting there, but they're not quite there yet. And, um, I think that some of this technology has almost been suppressed on purpose because they're scared of it. They don't want it to develop too quickly and too fast before they can understand it and really get a good con a grasp of how to control it and get control over it. Mm. And um, well, I mean, if it's practically indestructible, that's going to kind of throw a, a spanner in the works of any of the sort of need to replace things every two years. Or and the battery technologies too. Um, if you can run them on low power, they can be run on just ambient sunlight. You just leave your phone out in the sun to charge it. You know, um, it, it, this these things are gonna happen. There, there, the technologies exist. Um, they're just not developed yet. They're not. We don't have the vision and the foresight in the next generation of scientists. And I, I'm hoping that the young people I'm who are watching my videos or I'm training I'm in some way training the next generation of scientists. And I think I've already have, because I have emails of people that were graduating 10 years ago and I get emails all the time. People say, Here, here's my, they, I, I get just random email. This guy sends me a picture of his degree and he says, thank you. Thank you for like, thank you for like telling me and convincing me I could do it and making me believe and like, and that's awesome. That's great. Cause it's already happening. It's already, people have already, taken my advice and gone to school for these things and and um and chosen their careers based upon the advice i've given them and then later come back and said this was sound advice you know like i wanted to work in classified programs this has been a dream of mine since you know i was a kid and you've basically given me everything that i needed to study to have on my resume to get that job and that's awesome like good for you like 
And I feel like there's, I feel like that's another reason that they haven't gotten rid of me yet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's because I, I'm, I am kind of like doing them a favor in some ways. I'm taking a lot of weight off these old timers shoulders by, by getting these things out in, in ways that, you know, the, I don't know. And, but also it's, it maybe it, it does threaten them to a certain extent. Cause like, why would they send these people into my group to like disrupt and, and, uh, and um, take us off track with in, in such wild directions and just be like, oh, this is what you want to waste. This is what you want to spend your time on. Like, no, you just told me everything I want to stay away from. And, and, and thank you very much for that. You know, what makes you think that like that they're sending people with deliberate misinformation? Like, what have you got like a, a something specific Jeez. happened or is this a hunch or like what makes you think that? There's um there's a lot of different things and you never know because some people are just, they're misinformed and misled themselves. So it's, it's, it's hard to say. And then, then there's some people I think that are, cause right. I was digging into some of these technologies and um, I made a video on that mercury superfluid Taurus thing. You know, I was talking about superfluids and I was talking about mercury um, plasmas and um, all these ideas that I had had about, you know, this, Nazi bell stuff that that related to, you know, um, it kind of looked like similar to the Podklitnov's experiment with rotating superconductors. And, and there was a lot of research that was similar to this kind of rotating effect and this rotating mercury thing. So I made a video on that because of the and I mentioned the TR3B in there and Edgar Fouché um, and Edgar Fouché is like still an anomaly and we're still digging through everything because he did know certain stuff he did have the credentials he like he was stationed at area 51 like um worked on f-15 you know uh flight test things and and, and other equipment at, at he was just an equipment technician and stuff but you know not like a physicist but he was you know a low-level guy and he definitely worked out there and definitely had some of these credentials and definitely knew some certain things like that checked out over the years hmm. But at the same time, I don't know, he spread a lot of disinformation like and 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 I he joined up with me like I got introduced to this guy after making that video. Someone contacted me and said, I can put you in touch with them. They put me in touch with them. And then this guy comes into my group and I I created a forum. He's like, you got to make a forum and talk and put all your stuff on a forum to just to get it on your website and, and do a forum with all this stuff. And that way we can get people discussing on there and get a bunch of members and it will get you tons of. And it was great because I got tons of clicks, but he literally, after I created the forum, he went and filled it up with just every piece of disinformation that is in existence on the internet. I swear it was just <laughs> like, I don't know how he had the time or resources to get all that stuff and put it on the website, but I hated it at, at first, but then it brought me a lot of traffic and then I was getting tons of clicks. And I, then I started making like four, I was making four grand a month. That was at the height of anything I've ever made. I made it for two months. I made like four grand and uh, I think like four, seven, it was like seven grand total that I made in those two months. And then the forum got hacked and shut down and everything got taken down because as it was starting to grow and then I was posting all this stuff about other, other conspiracies and other information that I'd come across all on the forum just to like try to like overcome the disinformation stuff. Like we had a, Kennedy, a JFK assassination page 
that literally had a 163 page thread on the, the limo driver shooting Kennedy and like, and all the other threads <laughs> that I had set up about all these other leads and all these other CIA people and the different things. They were all like empty. No one, no one would comment or no one would pay attention to those threads. It was all like limo driver shot. You know, the, it was the limo driver, you know? And I was just like, this is like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Is, is that easy to do disinformation? Are they all bots? Are they all, you know, it's like, no, they can't all be bots and like agents. Right. You know, there's, there, I know there's real people on there and, and I don't know, they just know the human psychology didn't know how to get people distracted and get people in chasing the wrong, you know, rabbit holes over and over and over and over and over and over. It was like, it was like clockwork. It was amazing to watch it. And, and, <laughs> But then, then it got all hacked and shut down. We don't know who hacked the forum. And we still think, like, you know, the other guys blame Ed and Ed blames the other guys on the forum. And I was going to have them together for a meeting. And we just not, not sure if we even want to bring up the whole issue because one guy, one of the admins said he was getting followed by, you know, black SUVs. And I was like, why, why, I didn't, you didn't have the forum. I had the forum. Why aren't they following me? Why, why didn't I get like followed into the grocery store? Like you claim happened and stuff like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Were you jealous? <laughs> why are they not, why are they not coming after me? Am I not a big enough deal? What? Dude, <laughs> dude, I, how? No. Nah, so uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny, but, um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't jealous, but I, was, <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Uh, I just thought I, you know, I don't know. I, Cause I, I'm also, I'm always just, my first issue is my first instinct is to be skeptical and just say, no, this didn't happen. Or it was just some black SUV that, ha you know, like mm. what was the, maybe they weren't even there for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because maybe they were following some other whistleblower in the same supermarket. No, but it, it could be <laughs> sometimes the secret service will go to a city and do surveillance on certain things like before the president arrives, you know, like when the president's going to go somewhere, like if the president's going to come to Providence tomorrow, uh, next week, right. They're going to send secret service here this week to get everything set up. You know what I mean? They're going to basically get everyone planned for it. They're going to sit there, collect with local fusion set intelligence and anyone who said anything negative about the president and then keep they have all fbi profile list of anyone that might be a danger to the president and and you know so then they debrief all their officers you know to like who these guys are and so that they know them so you know if they see them around or you know like walking up to the president that they you know they, they'll be able to recognize these guys and you know there's all this stuff that happens that you know like and but you know so i don't know it's not on I don't know that those guys were there for him. They might have been, maybe, no, who knows? I don't know, but I've never seen anything weird like that happen to me. And believe me, I've been looking and I just, you know, I don't, I don't, ha I don't see anything like that ever happen. It's kind of weird, but I, I have gotten people that approach me like this Ed Fouché guy and gotten my group, you know, and I don't know, I don't know, because there was some, a lot of things that checked out about him. But then I'm like, as we're going over the case and I'm like, doing everything i mean this guy doxed me i was alien scientist i never had my real name out there before ed fouché doxed me and and put my whole name and and everything out there to like and 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 uh you know so this guy like i don't know i i weren't i wonder like was he was he hired sometimes like sometimes i question that like was this guy like hired to like infiltrate me and and you know discredit me and and 
send me on a wild goose chase chase like building things with dangerous toxic mercury that creates mercury vapor and i you know mm. is you know a neurotoxin and causes like brain plasticity so you know yeah. should i trust this you know i don't know it, it just seemed like a, a, a it seemed like everything that he ever pushed me towards was like disinformation and except to tell me to get to go back and get my degree and then and then he would buy me gifts he bought me like a a, a port a, like an external storage hard drive and then he would use those gifts like back against me to try to like bribe me later with them. so um you talked a little bit about the metallic glass like how how far are we away from from that being something that could be maybe not mass produced but like used in in some form of technology or some sort of like device that's used by like a like a, a number of people like how, how far are we from that being like producible i you know what I would have to do a little bit more research to have a definite answer for that because, you know, there's industries that like do research for a whole year and then will write a report on like the future of, uh, you know, these, these things, you know, so it would be interesting to, you know, I know a couple organizations like that. Um, maybe I should reach out to them and see if they, they could put together a sort of, projection report on what the future is for these materials now that they're like public mm -hmm. um this was done on drones and, and several other technologies like that years ago and um some of those projections have been you know pretty accurate so uh, you know they'd probably do a lot better job of that than i would um so then uh warp drives that's the 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 the, the one thing i really wanted to to, to ask you about was it just sounds so like sci-fi like star trek star wars hyperdrive kind of stuff like when did you first come across the idea and and like how how close would we be to attempting to test some of the the theories I'd say i first heard about it maybe like 2015 2016 and you know my immediate reaction was oh this is this is baloney, you know, like <laughs> warp drive. This sounds like Star Trek. Like this is so sci-fi and, 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 and stupid. It's like, oh, this is laughable. Let me, let me go and debunk this real quick and dive in, you know? <laughs> um, cause like I, I had done all this other research on, on anti-gravity and stuff. Well, it wasn't, I wouldn't really call it research cause I haven't actually built a lot of the stuff yet and tested it, you know, which we're do, we're getting to around to doing that now and really, you know, vetting some of this stuff fully um one way or the other but again i was like why is no one paying attention to this this research and some of that research is junk and it's like didn't deserve to be really paid attention to you know and i didn't really understand that at the time and uh so when i seen warp drive come along it was almost like oh this is like this is like a threat to the research that i've been doing you know so like let me let me dive in and try to debunk this you know and um yeah, that was kind of how I saw it. And um, when I started digging into um, just what they meant by it and what the research, you know, behind it was and the papers and the theoretical physics going to Bernard Haish and, and how put off who I had, 
you know, I had discredited put off because of, you know, he's Scientologists and pushed uh, remote viewing and a lot of these other uh, crazier, I, uh, you know, ideas in the past and stuff. Um, so I would, I had thought of him as like a pseudoscientist and also a guy that I had remembered from Psy Spies as being, you know, someone involved in the, you know, government's psychological warfare programs and stuff. So like, I immediately like this guy's, you know, doing some kind of psychological warfare and this has got to be like disinformation or something. Right. And, um, some of the physics is there it's sound and there's it's backed up by numerous other physicists who've worked on this and it's not it was fringe and outside the box for a number of years but now it's coming into greater acceptance and uh there's even you know mainstream quantum gravity physicists uh youtube people like sabina holsenfeld doing videos on warp drive and talking and taking it seriously now because um papers are coming out with new solutions uh, which use GR and um, methods of, uh, you know, to create these warp drive uh, equations and, and, and solutions to GR, um, which don't require, you know, the high, you know, infinite or negative energies, uh, which are impossible in, for the like earlier warp drive theory. You know, the first one being Al Kubiera's in 1994, which kind of started this whole thing, um, you know, it started a, a massive wave of papers on warp drive and, and uh, you know, after Alcubierre wrote that first paper, but his warp drive is unrealistic. So there's been many modifications and, and, and new designs to that. NASA's working on one with uh, Sonny White and uh, a number of other people um, and groups attacking on aerospace. And now, uh, most recently, I believe uh, Virgin Galactic with now that they've got Steve Justice on board there. So, uh, you know, there are these people working on it. And then Battelle announced that they got that contract from the defense uh, department for the smart skin technologies for those Mach 6 plus craft and stuff. And this is all, you know, I believe somewhat related. Um, and I think that this is where the, you know, the technology is, is heading and it might not be as far away as we think, you know, like my, my, my estimates on the metallic glass thing is, if the right resources and the right researchers and the right people put this together, we could have, you know, we could completely change the cell phone. Think about how much cell phones have changed in the last 10 years, right? Yeah. And then, then 20 years going back, because I remember my cell phone from like 2004, 2005, the old Nokia flip phone, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't just imagine what that, you're going to be holding. How long, how long ago was that? I got my first phone at like. 11 10 11 and it was like just like a little nokia brick thing yeah. i thought it was amazing and like well yeah. these are billion dollar markets man everyone needs a cell phone in this day and age and uh everyone needs a smartphone and, and the smartphone market is definitely expanding and then they're i believe going to be the driving force to push this forward if they if they can understand and catch up if not then it's going to be some other company that comes along and maybe corning or one of these other metallic glass people that figures out how to do it all um and builds these things and starts building them it's going you know think about how much cell phones technologies change in 15 years and then do imagine another 15 years and this is where it's going so mm -hmm. it, you know you have to you know it might not be quite there maybe it might take 30 years but uh it's going in that direction and um we need to be the ones to push it you know so mm -hmm. 
So how fast do you think we could realistically go with the warp drives? Like, oh, what sort you of speed? You wouldn't be able to go the speed of light. It can't go faster than the speed of light, so no time travel. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a couple things. It, it would be you could go virtually. You know, almost. I mean, I I don't know the the limits of it because you have to have some sort of projection and then shielding technique and you know like they have to plot like the idea from star wars where they had to plot the course first and calculate it before they took the warp drive so they don't crash into something or go through a, a piece of dust or an asteroid or anything mm-hmm. so so there's got to be that and there might have to be shielding in front of the craft to kind of push stuff out of the way or or you know steer the craft at, when you're going those super high speeds so those are all engineering things that will have to be worked out when we get there but um we're still at very very basic levels right now with the research we're, we're, we're still experimenting with a lot of these uh 2d and topological materials and uh and these these new age uh these new age space materials like the metallic glass and stuff and spin metals and fermionic spin metals and stuff like that so i think that in another maybe 10 years uh, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that a lot of the disclosure of this has already. Be, I, I believe maybe this stuff has already been developed. You know that I have that theory too. That a lot of the stuff has probably already been developed and it exists in these black programs, and now it, it will work its way out in the next ten, you know, fifteen years. So there's that theory as well. You know. So do you think we're like actually like sitting at the start of of like what could be the next sort of like big scientific leap forward because. I mean, uh, Eric Weinstein, I don't know if you're familiar with some of his work, uh, has, has talked endlessly. I love Eric. He's great. Uh, he talks endlessly about the the sort of lack of progress and imagination in in the scientific community at the minute. And and what really? you're do- I'm telling you, he needs me, man. I need to get on these bigger these podcasts. So I'm, I've already reached out to some of these people in their network, and uh, I, I'm hoping I will be getting on those podcasts within the next you know six months to a year. So I both I'm hoping for Eric Wein, Eric Weinstein and Lex. I'd rather talk to those guys than Rogan, honestly. Mm. Rogan doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I mean they're more of a scientific mind. But yes. like, yeah, talking to you gives me like hope that that there are people hoping to like kickstart some sort of um, scientific revolution. Uh, yeah. So final question um, for you before you go back to to sorting out your kids. Um, the like what what do you see in your opinion as like if if you had to say to someone there's one piece of technology that i'm looking at at the minute or you've looked at or researched or come across um in your time looking into these these sorts of things that like that really would blow someone's mind or like open someone's eyes to the fact that there is a lot of like really advanced technology being worked on and sort of developed like where would you suggest someone starts um I would look into slow light, trapped light, and squeezed light because a lot of it deals with uh, laser optics and stuff. So those three things, if you start there with slow light and uh, squeezed light, you'll find a lot of really interesting stuff. And uh, Could you give us like a 90-second explanation of what slow light is? So slow light is a way to trap or slow down light inside materials and there's different schemes for how to do that and um, some of those schemes are super interesting and um, easier to do than others and um, there's also time crystals which i think are related to this as well so uh, slow light and time crystals and uh, this sort of processes um, 
that occur in, inside of materials with light that's trapped and and uh, can be and and can also you can vary you can vary the speed of light in these materials um, through these techniques. And these techniques are super interesting because if you can vary the refractive index to change the speed of light, you can also change the speed of, of gravitons or gravity. So you could, you could effectively find a way to warp gravity. If you knew how gravity communicated, you could find a way to, you know, use these same techniques that slow light and warp light and squeeze light to do the same thing with gravity waves and, and, um, and with gravity, which would be super amazing. And I think that that is, the birth of uh, warp drive physics and we're seeing it right now wow that's pretty inspiring but uh yeah jeremy thanks it has been uh fascinating and an absolute pleasure uh thanks very much for taking the time man hey man josh thank you so much and take care yeah thanks so much for listening if you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list and don't forget my book Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.